In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Ryan and Carla Grubb, former leaders of my childhood church organization, who delve into some of the damaging beliefs and practices that eventually led them to leave their church, including wrestling with the idea that their church was the only true church. The conversation in this episode is inspired by the topics and themes of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on today's episode, I am joined by two very special guests. I'm joined by Ryan and Carla Grubb. We just recently started getting into contact. Ryan and Carla reached out to me after listening to some episodes last season. They are both former members and leaders for quite a while in my childhood church organization that I grew up in. And when they reached out to me, we talked on the phone and they just shared a bunch of their experiences and stories from their time as both members and leaders. And I, upon hearing their story and experiences, really wanted them to come on the podcast to share it with everyone else. So without further ado, Ryan and Carla, thank you guys for coming on. How are you? Thanks. We're doing good today. We're doing good. Happy We're to good. be here with you, Austin. Thanks for having us. Of course. And we've, we've got a lot to talk about this episode. So I'm going to go right into it by asking you guys the very first question, the question I ask every guest. To start, why don't you both give us a general overview of yourselves and your backgrounds, particularly in regards to your church and faith journeys? Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, So I did not really step into church like 100% until I was probably in my mid-20s, 26. I grew up going to church on kind of holidays, and I did the confirmation thing in the Methodist church and things like that, but I didn't go anywhere (laughs) else. I just messed that up. So probably in my mid-20s is when I had the opportunity to go to church, find out about God, you know, in a way that was actually scriptural. Uh, it, it brought out some life in, you know, what it really meant to 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 see God and Jesus. And I had been searching, but I didn't know where to go. And so I kind of went everywhere and probably not even in church, other places too. So it started by my mid-20s. That's when I was introduced to what it meant to really follow, what it really meant to try to secure an understanding of God. That was kind of where it started, Tennessee. So at that point, my journey is kind of fast. Um, I became a Christian, uh, found God, uh, and then I went directly into the to paid ministry about a month to two months to three months, somewhere in there. I wasn't even old enough to work with the kiddos, according to rules and regulations where I was. So the joke was I could be in the ministry, but I couldn't work with the kids. So it didn't make any sense because I worked with the teens, which were kids. Yeah. And so I did that for about a year. And then I left and went to Tallahassee, Florida from Nashville. And I worked with campus. And I think campus was probably my most memorable time personally. You know, yeah. I can't speak for my wife, but personally for me was probably the most memorable time probably the best friendships, the most growth, uh, the most inspiration, really loved 
working with those that that age. And of course, you know, I love football. And of course, you know, I was in a city where there was football, but oh, it's the perfect world right there. Of course, of course, especially when they were winning. <laughs> yeah, right. So I did that till for about a year, year, year and a half. And then we started to date. We got married. And then a week after our honeymoon, we were leading a church in Tennessee again. So it was very quick. And then we led there for, I don't know, a year and a half. We were moved from there for various reasons back to, to Nashville. And then in 2003, we were uh, asked to leave the ministry. We did go back into the ministry 10 years later, and then we came out again. And now I work as a therapist in Virginia. Love it. And for those listening who have no affiliation with our shared uh, former church organization, 2003 was a year where a lot happened in our worldwide organization. And a lot, and by a lot, I mean a lot, a lot of people on staff and leadership in churches across the country and across the world lost their jobs all in that year um, for, for a few different reasons. But that was a big year for our church with a lot of turmoil and many, 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 many leadership positions lost. But Carla, go ahead. Who are you? So um, similar to Ryan, I, I grew up in and out of church. Uh, I didn't go to church consistently when I was growing up, but we would have like, we, we moved quite a bit when I was growing up. So we would have, um, in some places we lived, we would go to church consistently, mostly Baptist, but there were many years growing up where I, I wasn't in church at all. And when I was in high school, I really started thinking about God a lot, wanting to kind of figure out my spiritual life, um, tried to read the Bible on my own, didn't get very far because I was reading a King James version and started at the beginning because oh, it's well. a book. Like that's where you start. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. got fairly far into it actually. Uh, as I remember, I skipped all the begats and um, I think I made <laughs> it into like where the law is. And, and I just kind of felt like, what is the big deal of this book? Like why, why is this book supposedly like the end all be all to our planet? I, like I'm not getting it. So anyway, so I went off to college actually really wanting to find a church, wanting to figure things out with God in my life. So I went to Florida State University and I was, I met some members of the church shortly after I moved there and uh, got baptized very quickly. I just, I met them and I went to one church service. I studied the Bible for 48 hours and I got baptized. Wow. Yeah. And that was in 1991 because it was really, I felt at the time, like, this is what I have been looking for my entire life. Uh, I always wanted to follow God and know him. And I felt like it was what I'd always been looking for. And so I was 18. So I was there as a part of the campus ministry at Florida State for six years. I did four years of undergraduate school and two years of graduate school there. Basically the entire time, I mean, it was the nineties in our church movement. Things were growing explosively. Um, we had just gone into the former Soviet Union and I had dreams of going on the mission team. I took one semester of Russian and discovered I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to be in the full-time ministry. That's all I wanted. It's all I dreamed about. And so I did a lot of campus ministry leadership, just lay leadership. And then when I finished graduate school, they did invite me into the full-time ministry. And so I worked at Florida State for a few years. And then I was moved as it was in the ministry back in those days. They would air quote, ask you to move, but it wasn't really an ask. It was just like, we're moving you. It's like yeah. the military. 
so I got moved to Nashville to work with the singles in the arts and media ministry there and was there for only a short while. And then Ryan and I started dating. We were actually set up on a blind date. We were totally a, oh, really? a ministry match. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, put two young ministers together. and But we fell in love very quickly. We actually went on our first date in April. And by August, I'd moved back to Tallahassee so that we could lead together. Wow. And by November, we were engaged. And in February, we were married. And as Ryan said, the day after the honeymoon, we were sent off to lead a 100-member church in Memphis. Off you go. Listen, it was crazy. I mean, when we were engaged, we were told that we were going to be leading a mission team to Jackson, Mississippi, which was the last state in the United States that didn't have a church in it at the time. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, so we, we our whole engagement, we thought that's where we were moving. And literally five days before the wedding, we got a phone call and said, so the mission team isn't quite ready to go yet, but there's this need in Memphis. So we're just going to have you move there. So they flew us up. We met the church and went back home, got married and moved to Memphis. It was, it was something. Now bear in mind, I went to high school in Memphis. So yeah, I left a little bit out. So when I was growing up, I was leaving potholes all over the city of Memphis. Um, (laughs) Nice way to say I was raising a lot of cane and I don't mean sugar. Yeah. And so when they said we were going back to Memphis, I kind of got white as a ghost because I'm like, okay, so now I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to act like I'm a minister and all my friends who are like, Oh man, we're going to go out. We're going to party. I'm like, no, uh, I want to see if you want to come to church. We're having it. We're meeting at right. the in 240 and Poplar. You're not a minister. I'm like, yeah, I, I actually, I, yeah, I, I, I it's like, we know say, you. Do you have weed in your church? That's what they would ask me. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're not that kind of church. We're not going down to Beale Street. We don't, it's not we, that kind of church. It's not Rum Boogie Cafe, Methodist Church, or, you know, the National Church. Yeah, right. So, anyway, so that was the interesting thing about that was, you know, we were going back to a place where I lived for half my life. Yeah. And I was, it was kind of awkward at first, so. Yeah. No, I imagine. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the way life comes around like that. So as Ryan said, I won't repeat everything he said, but um, we were in Memphis a, a little while, moved back to Nashville. And then uh, in 2003, when we came out of the ministry that time, we moved back to Tallahassee for a few years. We had our first child. We spent 10 years out of the ministry just trying to figure out who we were and rebuild our life. It was, it was devastating mm-hmm. for me personally in 2003 because... From the time I was 18, all I wanted to do was be in the ministry. And my entire life was planned that way. Like I married a minister. I like, that was my intention for my life. And so being pregnant, losing my job, uh, trying to figure out what are we, how are we going to build a life now? And of course the, the church overall was in turmoil. Uh, We went through some really dark times during that time. And um, so fast forward 10 years later, we have two children. We were living back in Nashville, just members of the church. Ryan kept bringing up, I want to go back in the ministry one day. Maybe we could go back in the ministry one day. And by that time, I had been so hurt and also had grown enough that I realized that my time in the ministry had been so unhealthy, like so unhealthy, that I felt like I don't ever want to put myself back in a situation like that again. And so every time Ryan would bring it up, I'd be like, yeah. Maybe one day, but in my mind, I was like, that's never going to happen. Yeah, sure. So we did end up going mm-hmm. back into the full-time ministry in 2013, 10 years later. It was to the day, the anniversary, June 6th of the day that they had fired us was the day that we got the call oh, that wow. we were getting hired back, which was pretty wild. Yeah. 
Uh, and so that took us to Virginia and um, we worked with a church um, in Virginia and we did that for about a year and a half. And during that time, a lot of the unhealed parts of us got exposed to us hmm. um, and to other people that were in our lives. And we yeah, we were we ugly. went through some really, really rough stuff. And yeah, and that's a story we may get into on this podcast and may not, but essentially yeah. we left the ministry again, sort of our choice, sort of not our choice. There's a story. Okay, yeah. That it was, and it, again, it was incredibly devastating to me, probably worse than the first time, definitely worse than the first time. Mm. Yeah. So we stayed where we were in that city for a couple years, mainly because we, we didn't want to run away. We had children. Mm. We didn't want to uproot them again. And we had some good friendships and relationships there. And uh, so we stayed there a couple years. And then through prayer, we ended up moving to central Virginia, which is where we live now. And uh, we were part of the same church family here for about five and a half years and then, or five years. And then um, two years ago, well, a year ago, it was a process, but we we did end up making the decision to leave the church and um, go out on our own. So that's our story. And we're sticking to it. <laughs> that was the podcast. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, that Join us next week when we talk about nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> also, can I just say, I think before we maybe get into more details, like we want to just give a framework. Like, who are these people? Sure. Ryan reached out to you because we loved your podcast. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's very fantastic. Good. Fantastic. Very good. Um, Thank you. And I, I think, I don't even remember how we heard about it. Somebody told him or me about it. I started listening to it first this last summer. And they said, this podcast is nonsense. Ah, listen to it and laugh, This is the worst podcast I've ever heard in my life. Go hate listen to it. Just listen to it to hate on it. <laughs> no, I, I told Ryan, you've got to listen to this. And then I, I binge listened to the whole thing uh, over the course of whatever, a week or two. And um, uh, and I think the, the thing that really hit me, and I, I shared this when I talked to you last week, Austin, was... That I was so shocked that so many of the things that I had experienced way back, I mean, I was a member of this organization for 30 years and things that I thought were very much things of the past or were not going right. on anymore or that the organization had really moved on from to hear your stories of things that were happening in the 2000 teens, I was just right. so shocked and so devastated and angry and it really made me want to speak out about some of these experiences that I've had yet there's a scripture that talks about speaking out for the oppressed and I think it's important because we have had such a culture of silence in this organization mm -hmm. and loyalty to the organization and yeah. and and I am somebody that can speak not from a place of still being angry or still being unhealed or upset or bitter because none of those things are true. I have all the stories mm -hmm. we're going to tell about today are things that I've talked through the people that were involved yeah. with them and we're fine with each other and I'm not mad at anybody, but I think it's important that people hear these stories so that they understand, so they can maybe learn the lessons that we had to learn through these experiences without having to actually walk through them, right? And if we can help yeah. people out there to feel emboldened, to make their own decisions, or to feel secure in the love of God, regardless of what they're experiencing around them, then I think it's important. So I just wanted to throw that out there, that that's, that's really why we're here today. I don't know if you have anything. No, I think my, my point when I started hearing your podcast and started hearing you, you talk to different people about their experiences and their need to 
communicate truth, especially when I was listening to Colton's. Yeah. And he's not even from the same organization I was from. And then I went, wait a minute. And it just, I, I was listening to that on I-81 driving home from Pennsylvania. And I literally had to shut off the podcast because I was like, <laughs> I was so mad. I got stuck. I'm like, here we are again. Same thing. On same a different thing. part of the yeah. country with a different, yeah. same pizza, different oven. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, wanting to come on was to really voice truth in a way that helps people say, yeah, I am allowed. Mm -hmm. mm. I am allowed to disagree with you. That's huge. That's a central through line. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've gotten a chance to know you guys a little bit. Now I want to ask you a bit about your experiences in leadership and in membership of our former church. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you kind of generally what the best aspects were in your eyes and your experiences, your perspectives. And actually, no, let's start there. Let's just start there. What were in your eyes and experiences the best aspects that you guys during your whole time as leaders yeah sure so when i got into the church i was fortunate enough to have an individual who was leading the church that gave me kind of free reign he kind of mm. gave me free reign and i and i do i do remember this and still appreciate this he allowed yeah. me to be myself and he still helped me with things but he kind of said hey once i got into the ministry he's like he trusted me so i think at yeah. that point i think for me the leadership aspect of trust now it did change over time but what I loved about my first entrance into leadership in this organization was there was a lot of trust. I mean, I had a lot of a lead way and I was a teen minister. I wasn't even, it was a brand new group too. So it was a brand new, yeah. but I think what I loved about that part was I had a lot of free reign, a lot of trust. Um, I think the people I was leading with, especially a couple of the single guys that were, they're still really good friends of mine to this day. They were all part of this group and we just had a bond. So there was yeah. a really good bond. Of course, that changes when you move and you change um, roles. I think I was given enough space to be able to learn how to assemble myself inside the group. Yeah, I was also um, not afraid to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, that didn't always turn out well because I have a big personality and I have a, and I'll say it, I have a big ego, Sure, but the, the idea behind that was you're not supposed to disagree. You're supposed to just, sir, yes, sir. And, you know, and bob your head. And I didn't do that. I never did that growing up. I didn't do that, you know, in high school and college. So, so I think leading for me, being able to, especially in campus, the diversity of the individuals that I got to deal with was phenomenal. I mean, I'm down in Florida. I'm in a melting pot. I get to deal with yeah. Haitians and Dominicans, and I get to make friends with people from Cuba and South America and Miami, and then but just different cultures and aspects. And um, yeah. so, to me, that was the beauty of that leading there. It was better than when I was a teen leader, or even when I was in my role as the church leader. There was a lot of clear culture in those two areas where I was in campus. It was awesome. I was like, whoa. So I got to learn how to lead different people. I think that was the probably the best. That's what I remember the most. That's great. And that, that's something, something that I will always and do always talk about when I personally think about some of the positives. 
which there are plenty for me as well. One thing, I don't know if this is a thing, I think this is a thing that our entire organization shares, but for my personal, in my soul church in LA, right? One thing that was so apparent and such a positive was how diverse it was. You know, I, I didn't grow up in some small town church with 100% or 99.9% white people, right? Like, I grew up surrounded by people of all kinds of races and cultures and backgrounds, and my life is 100% better for it. Um, and I, I honestly don't see any negative aspect of that element. That diversity was, for me, a 100% positive thing. And I'm so glad you brought that up that's so true. All right, Carla, what are your positives? What are, what are the things that you look back on and think were um, some of the best parts of your experiences? I'm so glad that you asked this question because it would be so easy to get caught up in the, you know, the negative stuff, which we can talk right. about too and will, but there was so much good, so much good. In fact, mm. one when Ryan and I went through learning about how to heal from past trauma and let go of things, one of the things that was really cool is that one of the leadership couples that I worked under a lot and had some of my most, you know, terrible stories or whatever and experiences with, as I as I healed from some of that stuff, I, I was able to see all the good. And at one point at a conference, I said, um, hey, I'd like to get together with you guys. There's something I want to share with you. And I I think they were both kind of like, oh, here we go. You know, here's going to be the rough stuff. And and instead, yeah. I, I read them a whole page of all of the good that I had gotten out mm -hmm. of my relationship with them. And there there is so much good that came from yeah. all of this. And so anyway, so some of the good things that I gained from my time in leadership was a lot of excellent training in my personal life, mentoring, growing in my own character, weaknesses in my character that I've been able to address and grow in. Um, the high standard of excellence that I learned being in the full-time ministry has served me very yeah. well in my life. I run a business now and the things that I ha learned in the ministry have really helped my business succeed. I think uh, the Bible knowledge that I have, part of that is, yeah. is from being in that environment. Part of it was my own personal desire to learn, but learning how to help and serve other people, learning how to put your needs to the side when necessary. And of course, there's a dark side to that that we'll talk about, but sure, um, yeah. it's made me <laughs> it's made me a better mother. And then even Ryan, what he just mentioned, I wrote that down to add just for my own records to my my good things is being in the ministry made me a lot stronger. Hmm. It made me a lot tougher. And sure. while that was not a pleasant experience, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm stronger and tougher than I would have been without that experience. So, yeah. Yeah. Those are some of the good things. That's great. And the relationships. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like he. Oh, people that. always mention the relationships. Please. Absolutely. Listen. I mean, that's so huge. Yeah, it is. When you are like in the trenches with people day in and day out. And honestly, one of the blessings of kind of being quote higher up in leadership is mm -hmm. that you get some really great mentoring partners. And so yeah. while there's, while there's terrible, awful things that happen, there was also some really, really great relationships forged as well. So. That's yeah. positives. That's great. Those are all really, really good answers. All right. Now time for the, um, the opposite side of the coin, the flip side of the question. What are the things that you at some point, whether during or after your time in ministry and in that church, 
realized were unhealthy, damaging, etc. I think overall, I think the biggest one is the uh, unrealistic expectations. And I think that is, that can, that's a word that can kind of sum up pretty much the entirety of, yeah. of this area. And there, so that includes demands that includes, you know, improper context of scripture. It, it, it includes having to follow a protocol to get somebody somewhere and sometimes getting them somewhere they don't really want to be, uh, taking things that probably are good things in God's eyes and making them duty, making them mm. rules, uh, making them uh, justified in the wrong manner. Yeah. And then I, you know, and I did it too, you know, I did it too. But then what would happen is I would question it. You know, we got fired from our church leading job, not because- Wait, which time? The first time. <laughs> <laughs> the first time, yes, there was a ton of- turmoil and stuff but it really was bottom it was top down we didn't have a lot of support we didn't have this and there was a time though when i decided you know what these statistics things are done i'm not doing it anymore and that was about two months before we got fired i just stopped hmm. i threw the statistics sheets away and told the bible talk leaders i'm not going to do it anymore so yeah. um so just that whole feeling of the leadership of this is the way we do it we don't do it any other way really kind of negated my love for the ministry. It became mm -hmm. a grind. Yeah. It became, you know, I got to lift weights today because I got to go out on the football field and make my paycheck today, you know, right. or I can't stand up for what I believe in because if it's not exactly the way they say, and I'll call it a situation where we had this really big push, I'll call it for conversions and, it was a push. It was 20 plus. We had this goal of 20 we had 21 plus. baptisms. 21 baptisms the month of October. In, in, in October. And wow. So yeah. it was, you know, ongoing every day. We had a church building. So we were in the bottom of the church building and every we had like six classrooms and and I felt like an interchangeable part line guy. I was walking up and down the hall. We had like eight studies going. We had three campuses and oh my and gosh. People were getting, yeah. you know, they were getting converted. And and so it finished like the day of, the night of or something. And I went home and went to bed. Yeah. Well, that wasn't good. Because the rest of the campus ministry went out to celebrate. Because together. they celebrated. Oh, did they? Because I couldn't stand up. Yeah. I got held to a standard. And I think that's the leadership. Yeah. And when I would do that to somebody else, and I, I did do that in some ways, I had to face sure. my own demons when they came to me years later yeah. and said, hey, man, I don't know why you acted like that. And I'm like, I don't really know why I did either. And so I think the demand, the expectation, it's not, it's a disassociation. Sure. Yeah. You know, from a therapeutic standpoint, it's a disassociation. It's a, it's saying that this is really brick red when it's not, it's wine red. Yeah. And so I think that was part of it. Like at one point I was just like, gosh, this is the way it's going to be. Like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be held over my head to the point where I feel like I can't do what I need to do. Yeah. The demand. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that's what it's, it's, it's demanding someone to, to act a certain way. Yeah. And we don't have any right to do that. We're not God. Right. I'm not God. And I played God a lot. And I'll tell the viewer that sure. it was wrong, hmm. but I'm seeing what I did wrong. And yeah. I think that's the other part is the lack of humility to say, look, we screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That fear of letting people just be. Yeah. The worry of the contribution, the worry of the membership, the worry of the numbers, the worry. 
just the control of it all of every syllable right every variable i, mean, I can keep going yeah. but i'm not going to so no that's great the demand the unrealistic expectations is huge because that like you said is an umbrella over so many different things right and then the humility of i mean this goes into, i mean so many things where especially now in the present moment right in this context when and this happens in so many churches is when wrong is done which wrong is done all the time even in healthy churches wrong is done but on in these unhealthy churches wrong is is a foundational element that happens all the time in different contexts and, and whatever when wrong is done and somebody confronts it and says hey this was wrong there's such a dissonance and a lack of humility that it then becomes and viewed as an attack on them as, oh, they're attacking the church. And really, I mean, it's such a prideful thing for when someone goes, hey, you, either the individual or you as a church, hey, you messed up here. Then to go, how dare you confront us and tell us that we did something wrong? There's such an air of unreproachability if that's a word, that's, I think it's a word, unreproachability. Um, but I mean, so true, such lack of humility. And it, it, all that does is deepen the damage of the wrongs done when if confronted with humility, those wounds could have been lessened and the damage decreased by such a, a large amount, which is very unfortunate. All right, Carla, the unhealthy I know you've got quite a bit to share about this. What are some of the unhealthy aspects of your experiences as a member, as a leader of your time in, in our church organization? So I'd really love to share some stories Yeah, because I feel like we've been talking in generalities at this point, people have gotten to know us some, mm -hmm. but I feel like stories are so powerful because yep. when you share stories, People can connect emotionally to them, but also it's one thing to say things were unhealthy. It's another thing to give an actual example, right? Absolutely. Yep. When you ask, like, what are some of the negative or harmful aspects of being in leadership with the timing of when Ryan and I were coming up in the church and when we were in leadership, I kind of think of us as like, we were like the middle managers, right? We weren't, hmm. we weren't high enough up in the ranks to enjoy the benefits of being in leadership. Interesting. But we were high enough to get the negative parts of being in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I say the benefits, mm -hmm. I mean, I just listed all the good things, right? And all the positive things that I got oh, from sure. this experience. But what I mean is like, people weren't coming over and cleaning my house. Right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have kids. So no one was mm -hmm. babysitting my kids. I was babysitting other people's kids. Yeah. You know, we weren't, we weren't high enough to be protected. So in any case, some of the things that I wrote down, and then I'd love to share some stories that relate to these things. But some of the things that I wrote down that were negative and harmful was a pervasive feeling of never being good enough. Never, 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 never. No mm. matter how much I worked and tried. And not only did yeah. I feel that from the leaders supervising me, but also from God, hmm. which is another harmful thing is that I very much internalized what other people and specifically leadership felt toward me as what God was feeling toward me. And mm -hmm. part of that 
is my personality. Part of that is being in an environment where, you know, it was heavily taught in the 90s. You submit to your leaders. They are the authority yeah. from God. Make their work a joy, not a burden, right? Like whatever yeah. they say is what you do, even to the point of imitate me as I imitate Christ. But it wasn't just imitating the Christ-like qualities in your leader. It was imitate the way she dresses, right. imitate the way she mm -hmm. does her makeup, imitate the way she talks to people. And so I very much lost a sense of who Carla was during those mm. decades because I was so busy trying to be what I thought God, but really other people wanted me to be. Yeah, That's one thing, the never good enough, living in a culture of control where my life was heavily, heavily controlled. Shame and guilt being pervasive in my life constantly. Mm. A sense of hypervigilance, which I really want to make sure that I talk about because it was incredibly yeah. unhealthy. And I... I actually believe that some of that led to the health crisis that I had. Yeah. A lack of trust in myself, really not. And I know some other people on your podcast have talked about this, but living in a culture like that where you have to get advice about everything means that you don't learn decision-making skills for yourself and you don't trust yeah. your own decisions that you make for yourself. And it, it means that you really don't trust yourself. And that's a terrible place to live. Yeah. And then an over sense of self-responsibility, what I call blaming the victim Meaning like whenever there's any kind of conflict, if you do have an issue with something, it always comes back to, well, what do you need to change? Well, what, what in you could be different? How could you have handled that yeah. differently? And so instead of ever feeling supported, you're constantly self-criticizing. Yeah. So these are some of the, some of the things, but I would love to tell some stories about how that plays out. Yes, please. And those are all so crucial and so many people have mentioned those elements in different podcast episodes. So absolutely. Yeah. So I'd like to talk a little about the hypervigilance. What I learned being in leadership was that I could never let my guard down. Hmm. I always had to be super, super careful about what I said, what I did, how I acted, who I said it to, what was the look on my face during church, because at any given moment, out of the blue, with no warning whatsoever, someone whose opinion matters, meaning they could like fire me or demote me from my leadership position, which because of the culture and the environment, I internalized as judgment from God, not just a person mm -hmm. making a decision about me. I had to be so careful all the time to always be exactly what I was expected to be. Yeah. Sometimes I would be doing my very best and yet the correction would come. And often it was a harsh correction. An example of this would be, I remember I had spent, this was when I was in campus leadership. I think I was already in the full-time ministry. I think, I'm pretty sure I was a campus intern at this time. Yeah, I had, I graduated from, from graduate school. And um, I mean, okay, can we also just say when I was hired as a campus intern, I was paid $800 a month. $800 a month. Dollar bills, y'all. Dollar bills. No health insurance. No salary. Yep. You know, here's your mm -hmm. $800 check, right? Live with six systems yep. and figure out how to live on it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no reimbursements. Like, that. anyway, it was funny. Oh, yeah. But nope. I was grateful because I was in the ministry, sure. right? I was, I was, I had finally arrived. Your payment was good standing with Christ. Right, exactly. Oh. Exactly. So anyway, I had spent the morning standing out on the side of the road collecting change for the charity arm of our church, which that's a fun experience in and of itself. I spent the whole morning collecting change. And then that afternoon, I think I had more stuff scheduled, whatever. 
I mean, I, I was part of the campus ministry in the heyday. Like there were rules about everything and everybody oh, went on oh, a date yeah. every Saturday night. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, so it was a Saturday and my next, my next thing to do that day was going to be to drive about 30 minutes out of town to drop this change off at a person's house who was responsible for collecting mm. and counting it or whatever. And I sat down and I have another story I need to tell about my weight, which we'll talk about as well. But I was, I, w- I had internalized that it was like very important to God that I'd be thin and that I mm. eat responsibly. And so I sat down to eat a salad, which I felt really good about. And I felt really good about what I was doing with my day and with my time. And my ministry leader called me. And she said, what are you doing right now? Mm. And I said, um, well, she probably paged me because back in those days, like I called it my. Oh, yeah, right. I I called it my electronic leash. Right. Because when the ministry paged you, you need to call them back within 10 minutes. Right. And we didn't have cell phones. Like you had to go find a paper or whatever. But I got on the phone with her and she said, what are you doing right now? I said, oh, I'm just sitting down to eat some lunch. And then I'm going to, you know, I explain what was going on with my day. And she said, how dare you? How could you, so you're not eating with anybody. You're just by yourself right now. That is a waste of your time. You, whenever you eat a meal ever, you always need to be eating with someone else. You need to use your time wisely. Okay. So this is just one example. First time I heard this one. Like. Really? Oh, uh, wow. Because I have so many of them. This isn't even one of the big ones. I mean, that's just one example. Uh, A few years later, when I was leading the singles, a bunch of the ministry was going to have a birthday party for me. And so I was heading down to this birthday party. The ministry leader, different, different person at this point, called me and said, well, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, they're having a birthday party for me. And she goes, well, listen. In staff meeting this week, you predicted that you were going to have a baptism in your ministry this week. And right now, you don't have anybody ready to get baptized. So what you need to do is you need to go into that restaurant, tell everybody in the ministry that you are canceling your party, and you all need to go out and share your faith and go find somebody. Wow. Because you need to be a woman of your word. There's a there's a quota. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I have so many of these. I can't even tell. And 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 did you? No, that was actually. um, I think the reason why I remember that one is that was probably the first time. By this point, I was 26, maybe 27. Mm. And that was one of the first times that I started to feel like that's just not right. And I had finally Mm. started to get to an age maturity wise where I I was beginning to think for myself some. And I was like, that's just not it's not that wouldn't be kind to do to these people Mm. that have set up this party for me. And I'm not going to do it. And I didn't. I was yeah. scared because I wasn't sure how she was going to react the next day when she found out that I didn't. How how did she react? Do you remember? He actually didn't even make a big deal of it, which was good. I was yeah. like, Phew! You know? yeah. yeah. She was just kind of like, okay. She just kind of laughed it off and, you know, we went on. But, <laughs> oh, man, I tell you. Um, yeah, there were a lot of things like that. You know, just like I remember one time I, I, you know, oh, my gosh. Remember we had good news sharing in leaders meetings? Man. Every Sunday afternoon, we'd have a leaders meeting. And um, mm-hmm. at the the time period that I'm thinking of right now was in Tallahassee. And we had a, at that point, the church had, had grown fairly large for that size city. And so we had a leaders meeting of probably, I don't know, 40 people, 60, 50 people sitting around yeah. in a big circle. And we'd always have good news sharing. Oh, my gosh. I have trauma about good news sharing. Man. Sounds like a nice thing, right? Good news sharing. Right. No. Yeah. You think. Oh no. Yeah. No. no, it wasn't because it had to be the right kind of good news. It had of to be course. phrased properly. 
And if it wasn't, or it wasn't good enough, or you said something wrong in front of everybody, then you were going to get talked to afterward. And then this happened to me multiple times where I would share something that I thought was really good. And then later they would come to me and be like, that was bad. How could you say this? How could you say that? I remember once I got discipled after a prayer, like I had prayed something that was just really genuine from my heart sister came to me afterward and was like how could you pray that you know and for those listening who have no affiliation to our church organization the word discipled basically means reprimanded because we called our baptized christians disciples and then we would often have disciplers which were kind of like mentors kind of and then to be talked to would be being discipled so it was just like this constant having to guard what i said i wasn't around her at that point and i think if i had been in the area i probably would have been fired because (laughs) oh no doubt you would not have survived the 90s i would have said yeah y'all are a bunch of nut jobs yeah so i mentioned um my weight and i do want to talk about that because this speaks to the culture of shame and guilt being pervasive. Mm. So I was baptized in 1991. In 1993, our family of churches in the part of the country that I was in went through, oh, they called it a reconstruction. And essentially Mm. what happened is the churches in that part of the country, well, it was in Florida. Basically what they did is they, they brought a bunch of ministry leaders back from the mission field in South America. Yeah. And they came into the Florida churches and in general, the Florida churches were not probably, I'm guessing at this point, looking back, they weren't growing fast enough, but the idea Mm. was that the churches were lukewarm. And so they brought all of these missionaries back into the American churches. And what they did is they had what they called a discipleship talk with every Mm. single person, essentially like reconverting them. And the goal of that talk was to identify the areas of your life where you are not committed enough or whatever, where, where is your sin and let's deal with it. And we're going to basically reconvert you. (laughs) And for me, I had first met the ministry leader that was going to do that talk with me on the phone. And I was going through some intense stuff and really trying to deal with it in a way that I thought was scriptural. And she was apparently very impressed with me on the Mm. phone because of how I was handling this very challenging situation. Then we met in person. And when we met in person, my entire discipleship talk was around the fact that I was about 80 pounds overweight. And I was Mm. 20 years old at the time. I had always had a weight problem since I was, you know, in puberty. And it was, it was a very difficult thing for me, you know, being a teenager, especially in the 1980s, there was not the body positivity that there is nowadays, not at all. Mm -hmm. And so I already felt a lot of shame around it. And it was something in my life that was a real bother to me. And my entire discipleship talk was about my weight. And the way it was presented to me was when I met you on the phone I was like, wow, finally, here is somebody in this American church that's like totally committed to God. Like, I finally found her. Yeah. She goes, and then I met you in person and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what it is. Yeah. Like she said that? She said that. Yes. That's crazy. Exactly like that. And I will tell you, I was not the only one at that time. Other women in that city fellowship at that time were told, now this wasn't, this was hearsay. So I don't know. I'm just saying this is what, you know, when I was in this environment and we were all talking about like, 
This is what I have to, because everybody was given like a, a, a repentance task, right? Like if mm-hmm. you want to stay in the church, this is what you have to do. Like literally it was like, yeah. and for me it was, if you want to stay in the church, which at that time I truly believe meant like stay in a relationship with God because we were sure. absolutely taught that this was the only church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to lose weight. Like you have to, which basically the unspoken message there is if you don't, God doesn't love you. He's going to reject you and you're going to be kicked out right? and you're going to lose all of your friends and you're going to have to figure out how to have a life outside Mm -hmm. of this that has become your identity. Right. Mm. But I remember there was another, at least one other woman we were given, like, it was literally like, you need to, some people were told like, you need to lose two pounds a week. Um, or like, you know, and check back in in a month. And if you haven't, then you're going to need to take a break from church for a few months and lose some weight. And then you Mm. can come back because you've now shown your repentance by your deeds. Right. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, it was rough. We had taken a group photo of the sisters in our ministry as like an encouragement Christmas gift for each other. And and the evangelist that came in, saw the photo. He basically was like, wow, you can really see in this picture how many fat sisters there are in this ministry. And this has got to change. So yeah, I just, I just feel like some of these stories need to be told because there is so much pain out there, right? Like I'm, I'm fine. I've worked through all this. I mean, listen, I did lose 80 pounds and it did change my life. And, you know, and, and a lot of great things happen when you, lose that kind of weight and you change your identity and so on one hand hey i'm glad i lost the weight you know um on the other hand that kind of messaging is so damaging so Mm -hmm. so deeply and i have now had decades of struggling with like when i gain weight is god unhappy Mm. with me am i in sin is this part of my identity Mm -hmm. um yeah and, you know, even though I know better, those those messages can just really get in there. And I think having become a part of this organization at such a young age and, you know, having this be part of the identity that I lived in this culture of, of incredible mm-hmm. control. I mean, I remember a few months after that, that um, I didn't eat any junk food for probably at least six months at all. Yeah. And because yeah. my relationship with God was literally on the line. Right, And I remember one night I finally decided to eat a little bit of pizza and I had two pieces of pizza. I mean, I'm a college student living in a dorm, right? right? And I called mm-hmm. my discipler in agony and was like, oh, I just ate God. two pieces of pizza. And like, I was crying and thank God for her. She, she said, um, I really feel like that's okay. Good. <laughs> but it just shows kind of yeah. where I was, where I was. Living. Well, well. What brand of pizza was it? What company? No, Austin. It was Totino's, all right? Was, You're not far off. Oh, well. DiGiorno. It was DiGiorno, okay? It was- hey, DiGiorno's good. I like DiGiorno. So after I, after I lost, I don't know, about half the weight, I lost maybe 40 pounds, the ministry leaders approached me and said, hey, this was kind of around the time of, you know, this picture of all the fat ladies in, in the campus ministry. Hmm. They said, hey, we'd like for you to lead a weight loss group to help the other women because you've been so successful. And my first response at that time was, well, I just, I mean, I haven't been losing much weight recently. You know, I'm not sure I'm qualified. And they were like, that's okay. You can just repent and get back to it. And, you know, and and you'll do fine. And uh, so I did. But I remember, I think this is really telling of the environment that we were living in. I led this weight loss group and I have some great memories of it. Like, you know, we bonded as women, whatever. I mean, it was the nineties. Every woman was always trying to lose weight. Yeah. I mean, if that's really changed, right? not really. 
But the thing to me, looking back about it, that was really telling was that we would bring a scale to the meetings and Mm. the women would get on a scale and I would read the scale. Like I would be down in front of them and I would read the scale and I would write down whatever their weight was that week. And then, you know, we would celebrate whatever if there was celebrations. But I'm like, that tells the kind of culture that we were living in that there was not even a level of trust around you could self-report your weight, which even the fact that we were reporting is a problem. But the fact that I didn't even let them self-report it because Mm -hmm. like on some level, I guess we knew that there would be so much pressure that you would want to lie. Right. Which happens in several different places in that context, in that church context too. Oh yeah, for sure. And that, just to piggyback that, the thing that I think was most harmful in general was that you couldn't be honest. Right. Right. The church yeah. leader, I wouldn't confess to the church leader. What am I going to confess to him for? He's going to give me all the reasons why he never <laughs> sinned. I mean, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just go ahead and just play an audio videotape of his voice. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. So anyway, that's which the- meant that Ryan was a major source of angst to me because here sure. I am like, yes. Miss, like we have to do everything by the book and follow all the rules. And he's all like, I'm not doing oh, yeah. that. I'm freaking out because my husband won't fall in line. And I'm do not what he's driving around that way. I'm driving the right, right way. Right. Like two sides of the coin. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'd also like to talk a little bit about just the the culture of silence in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, even coming on this podcast, I'll tell you, even even having been out of the group for a year and a half now, when we first made the decision to leave, I asked Ryan, can you please not put this out publicly? Like, please don't mm. say anything on Facebook. Uh, I'm just not ready. Yeah, It's like, I'm not sure. ready. I need to get a sense of like, how are the people close to me going to handle this before I just have like the public at large giving opinions? Mm-hmm. And even now, like when Ryan said, oh, I connected with Austin and we're going to talk. I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, even when we talked last week, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this. Mm-hmm. But, but even in preparing to talk, I felt more and more strongly like, no, this is really important. It's not just important for me and my own personal growth to speak out, but also for Mm. the people out there, like I talked about earlier, but I, I, there is such a, and it speaks to the abusive side of this Mm. church movement. There is such a sense of, it's not okay to talk about the bad things, like Mm -hmm. keep it in the family, right? Like if you have like your drunk uncle, you don't like trot him out and tell people about him or whatever. And so there's this sense of like loyalty and it's, it's just very damaging because people don't feel like Ryan said, you don't feel like you can be honest. And if you are honest, there's going to be repercussions in some way, like socially. Yeah. And so it's been very refreshing for me being out of that organization now, I feel like I have been able to get more and more in touch with like, who is Carla? What does Carla actually think about these things? How does Carla actually feel about these things? I've become such a more confident person in myself. Yeah. And and it's been it's been beautiful and wonderful. One of the last things that we attended was a big conference in Florida. We were already kind of visiting other places and not sure what God was going to do, but we were pretty sure that we were on our way out. And it was interesting. Uh, I don't know how much of it was my perspective versus just where things were, but 
that experience being at that conference was, I was, I was kind of like, you know, this just isn't as great as it used to be um, in general. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it was just me to be honest, but yeah. there was a, there was a person preaching and I don't know him personally at all. It was just, you know, the guy talking on Sunday morning and he said something that made me so hot and I've heard it many times. And so I really want to put it out there on your podcast, which is, yeah, he said, he was talking about how, oh, there's all these people now being critical of the church and saying bad things. And he said, you need to remember that the church is the bride of Christ and God cares what you say about his bride. And it was almost in this threatening way, like God's going to mm-hmm. come after you if you insult his bride. <laughs> it's basically how yeah. it came across. And it really rubbed me the wrong way when he said it. And then I had to think about it afterward. And I was like, wait a second. So I just want to set the record straight publicly. Yeah. Scripture says that we are to present the bride of Christ as radiant and without blemish. And if a bride was getting ready to go meet her husband and she had a big stain on the front of her dress, you would let right. know, hey, let's deal with this stain because I know that you want to present yourself beautifully to your husband. Right. And it's not wrong to point out the stains so that we can address mm-hmm. them. That's not insulting the bride of Christ. That's helping the bride of Christ. Okay, my sermon is now over. I just really wanted to say that because I've been wanting to say it ever since I heard it. Well, this leads me into what I want to share. Yeah, Being a former ministry leader while I was in this organization and watching countless people of my age, and I'm going to say this, I want to get this out there. Yeah. The men and women from age 38 to 50 took the fall Mm -hmm. for this organization's lack of change based Mm. on the fact that they couldn't ride the friendly skies fast enough Mm -hmm. in Mm. order to save face. Mm. Now, why do I say that? Because I have had countless friends and countless people that I know lose their job, be told that they're not good enough, removed yeah. from their post due to a lack of production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I also have the problem with there's people that they're, they're my friends. A lot of them are just sitting in pews waiting to be used and they never probably will ever get a chance. Hmm. And my hurt, I hurt for them, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, if they speak up, then they're going to be ostracized. Yeah. And that happened to me because I was trying to help and help and help and help. And I was finally like, yeah. you don't want my help. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want it. And I say that because I feel justified to say that because I feel like it needs to be said that the church yeah. is not owned by people. Yeah, God is the church and the Holy spirit and his son lead the church. Do I think they're all going somewhere they're not supposed to? No, I'm not trying to judge anybody. Yeah. But when when movement doesn't happen, when wineskins are old and they keep crumbling mm-hmm. and crumbling, no 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 pun intended with crumpled papers, but they crumble, <laughs> it's hard to fill yeah. them up with something qualified. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what happens is people get challenged, and I think it's fear that keeps people stuck. They don't want to mm-hmm. lose what they have. And yeah. so... That's my sermon for right now. I'm sorry we're like taking you on like a ride here, but we're no, no. This is great stuff. It's really um, 
interesting. I mean, I've had I've had a few former leaders, uh, church leaders in various organizations on this podcast, and it's always so interesting to me hearing the diff. Well, first off, the similarities. So many similarities, but also the differences in those similarities almost in their experiences and the things that really were present in their church experiences as leaders versus people who were just members. Um, and there's different, different sensibilities, different details in those experiences that I, as you not having been a leader in anything, don't always think about that actually kind of widens my my perspective and experience of it. So it's really useful stuff, really good insight. And my next question for you guys is kind of a natural progression of this conversation. And that is obviously at this point now, as you guys have mentioned, you guys have left leadership and membership of this, our former church organization. So I wanted to, I was curious, could you guys walk us through the process of leaving what your maybe exact reasons were and just the overall context of how that played out for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a process. It wasn't like a sudden decision. We we really walked through it for, gosh, it was probably an eight month process. Um, or long. Yeah, and but but my mind immediately went to at the very end of our process when we were like, okay, it's time for us to really make a decision here. We sat down and wrote down all the reasons why we felt like it was time, and it was hmm. four pages of reason wow like this isn't like not obvious so it's still a toss-up though yeah, you know I'm not sure if we should do it or not Four pages of reasons why um but, yeah. but backing up to kind of where it started during 2020 you know i feel like god sent everybody to the room for a timeout right like everyone go yep. to your room yes. and think about your life and so we were that that was definitely important for me because i felt like we were on this um this church schedule treadmill, right? You're so mm -hmm. busy, 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 doing, 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 doing. And having that time to to stop and to think, it was so refreshing for yeah. me personally. And so that was a part of it. Part of it was opening my mind by listening to podcasts. There were a few podcasts that were really, really incredibly transformational for me to start opening mm. my mind and to honestly, to get permission to think about yeah. leaving but what really was was kind of that was sort of happening for the year leading up to when I started my eight month timeline but to me the start yeah. of our eight month timeline was um I was going through intensive cancer treatments hmm. and that's a, a whole story in itself but I first had cancer in 2017 and it was a very rare weird type of cancer it showed up in the gum tissue of my mouth um, and then spread from there. And I had surgery then we thought we were done and then it came back in 2021. And so all of 2021 was this intense, intense walking through, uh, multiple surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation treatment. It, it was intense. And, um, yeah. by November of that year, it actually metastasized to my lung and became stage four terminal cancer. It was really, wow. really intense. And so we, Ryan and I personally were walking through this. And when you go through something like that, you, you think about your life on a totally different level. What is my life yeah. been about? What, what, what is important to me? If I survive, 
what do I want my life to be about? Would I continue Mm -hmm. to do the things in my life that I've been doing up to this point? And I felt very strongly that like, I don't want to live this lifestyle anymore. I don't, I don't want to continue to live spiritually the way that I've been living. It feels very dull. It feels very stuck. It feels like I'm just going through the motions and doing the same thing I've done for 30 years. And it doesn't feel alive and vibrant anymore. And uh, I was reading a book about alternative healing from cancer. And by the way, the end of that story is that I did experience a miraculous healing just a few months later. And I've been clear ever since then, which is amazing. That's awesome. Yes, it's, it's incredible. But when we were walking through that, I was reading this book about alternative cancer treatments. And one of the things it said was, you want to look at any area of your life where you feel stuck and see if Mm. you can get it moving. And I looked up at Ryan and I said, we are so stuck in this Mm. church. And that's why every, it feels like practically every church service we would leave and Ryan would be just frustrated and angry and struggling and just like, Mm -hmm. and I realized it's because he's stuck. It's because he's in this little box and it, yeah. he he doesn't belong there anymore. And we don't fit in this box anymore. We have grown as people. And we just felt yeah. like we have grown beyond this little tiny box. And we and Ryan was so frustrated um, because he wanted to move forward in life and he wanted to do things in life. And we felt like we were just stuck. So that was the beginning of our eight months of beginning to, you know, we talked to the leadership of, of our local church and said, listen, this is where we're at. This is what we're experiencing we are going to start visiting some other places just to kind of see what's out there. Um, And they were actually very supportive. They were, they were great about it, which was good. I didn't, you know, we didn't have like a bunch of pushback here locally. Um, (laughs) Also at that time, like it wasn't easy, you know, after 30 years and like literally my entire life as an adult has been bound up in this organization my identity yeah. is tied up in this yep. organization, the way that I look at myself, the way that I look at God. And that's why it was such a process is because we weren't, we weren't coming at it as a place of we're mad and we're out. It was more like, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? Where does God want us? What is a healthy place for us to be? And I felt like I was terrified after having watched other people leave over the years, many, many, many mm. people in 30 years, yeah, I was terrified of how people would respond, of losing relationships, mm. of being judged, of being shamed. And so we actually, we got on a Zoom call with some great friends who were in the ministry in Florida and uh, that were, we were all in the ministry together and they still are mm. and, you know, we're not, thank goodness. <laughs> But we we got together with them and and we're just like, hey, this is what we're experiencing. And part of what we were experiencing too was just relational. Locally, we really, even after five years of, of attempting, we really didn't feel like we had great relationships in the local church here. Mm. Uh, it was relationships that are like polite, friendly, see you on Sunday, don't really hang right. out much aside from that. You know, you go to church with people Sunday, Wednesday, devotionals, activities, but like, are we really friends? Really? That all kind of played into, you know, why we were looking and what we were trying to figure out. So we started visiting other churches and I've been talking for a long time. So maybe he wants to talk. Well, about I think definitely we were in unison with, with leaving, but I definitely did not care what people thought. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. for two to three years, I was told, 
Oh, don't be so energetic. Don't <laughs> clap in church. I can't make this be stuff quieter. Up. Be quieter. Be too loud. Don't say amen. You're saying amen in church wow. too loud. You're saying amen in church. But just another Starbucks, by the way, with the church. Leader. Yeah. And then we had some unfortunate run-ins with individuals in the church. One who blamed me for my wife's cancer. Um, oh, gosh. One who said some awful things to me. And at that point, that was in the middle of her cancer. I was actually done. Yeah. I'm like, the hell with this. I said that. Yeah. Like, I'm done. They don't want to be my friends. I have plenty of friends. Yeah. yeah. We do. I have plenty of people <laughs> I can call right now on my speed dial hmm. talk. And so that's where the people in the ministry who we knew who are still part of this organization told us, you need to not worry about doctrine and you need to worry, you need to, you need to focus on relationships and finding people yeah. that you can connect with. And so that's, you know, in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. Can, why we left. can I pop back in? That's thank you for bringing it back around. Cause that's where I was that I got lost in my train of thought was when we met with those friends online that I was like, honey, these people have known us for 20, 20 years. And I want their opinion on what we're going through and what we're thinking about. And um, to have an evangelist in our family of churches flat out tell us, he said, honestly, if you're not in a position where you can move to another city right now, which we really weren't, he said, I, I think it would be good for you to start looking elsewhere. And hmm. just for him to say that was one thing. But then for him yeah. to say, you know, make a list of what you're looking for so that you're not just kind of blindly going out wherever, which we did do, which was very powerful. Yeah. And then he said, and honestly, I don't think doctrine even needs to make the list. I don't even think that's important. He said, what you mm -hmm. guys, you guys know the truth, you know, your Bible, you know, God, you need to find a place where you feel supported and loved and you can mm -hmm. forward in your life. And to hear an evangelist in our family of churches say doctrine isn't important, I was like, <laughs> and and I think it was important. Yeah. And I'd encourage anyone to do this kind of activity to sit down and go, okay, well, what what am I looking for? Uh, not just yeah. not just okay, these are all the the bad things that I'm experiencing or the struggles, but what am I looking for? What do I want? And yeah. making that list together was very powerful. I remember we were we were on the beach. Um, on a little weekend getaway. And I just pulled out my iPhone and took notes as we talked and what, what we're looking for in a church. And no. when I looked at the list, I was struck with this feeling of, this is not too much to ask for. <laughs> like these things right. we just listed are like normal, regular things. We're not shooting for the mm -hmm. moon here. And so I, I, I realized that's, that's okay. And it was so fun visiting different places. Let me just tell you, it was so, sure. it was just so mm -hmm. cool to see different, you know, to just get different vibes and see what was happening in different places. And to be able to go and see how different people are doing Christianity or worshiping God, not coming from a place of judgment, but coming mm. from a place of curiosity it was very yeah. freeing and we learned so much. I mean, I think we only ended up visiting maybe four or five before mm -hmm. God landed us in a place where we kept wanting to go back to that one over and over every week instead of to a new one. And that's how we knew like, yeah, I think, I think this is where God yeah. wants us. And we're still there mm -hmm. um, right now, like a year and a half later. So. No, that's great. And that brought up something really interesting that I, I, I want to say here. And that is this whole idea about, you know, having the freedom to go to these different churches with the freedom of knowing that God will lead you where he wants you to be and where the best place for you is. And that freedom also of your own discernment to be able to decide, oh, 
I see this place as being healthier or a better fit or whatever. And, and you talking about all that made me want to say this, which is even if your church is completely healthy and the best place for you, and you know it's the best place for you, you have no intention of leaving anytime soon, ever, right? If your church is the, is the healthiest and best place for you, I would still highly encourage you to make a point of going to different churches. And there's some people who, hearing that, will be like, oh no, why, why involve yourself with other ministries? Why you need to stick with your church and whatever, whatever. Okay, sure. But on individual faith level, right? I'm not talking about becoming a member of all these different churches. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about simply intentionally exposing yourself to different churches because every single church does things differently, right? Not right or wrong, just differently. And also being that every church does some things better and some things worse, some things right, some things wrong because we're human. Other churches will probably do some things worse than you believe your church does, and that's fine. But they'll also highly, highly likely do some things better or that you view as better than your church does or things that your church doesn't do that you're not used to that actually offers you, oh, that's actually a great thing for my faith or for myself or whatever. And you know, even going down to just the different people who preach on Sunday, they've lived different lives than the pastor you've had for 15 years, right? So their messages will offer you different perspectives than the ones you've been hearing in your church the whole time you've been there. Just I can go on and on on different tenets of this, but of course, if your church is not healthy, then it's great to look around and try to find one that is or a better fit for you. But if your church is the best place to be for you, there is not a single risk and there's nothing to lose in exposing yourself to other expressions of faith and the way that different churches express and live out their faith can be such a fruitful endeavor. It really can. Especially because, let's be honest, in, in my, in our former church organization, and unfortunately in many, many church organizations and individual churches, it's posed as a risk or a threat to your faith to expose yourself to other churches because no matter what they do over there in that church over there, we've got it down right, right? And it can go as extreme as in our organization, we believed we were the true church, right? We were the one true church where these other churches, they just don't have it quite right. And their faith is just a little bit less adequate, actually pretty inadequate, right? And they'll lead you away from God with the things they do and the way they believe. And that's just such a harmful way of thinking. And once that's ingrained in you, it can take a lot of effort, intentional learning to unlearn, right? Intentional learning to unlearn. But Anyway, that's just a thought I had, so. Okay, I got a couple more questions for you guys here. The next one I have for you is this. Through the time spent leading in our church organization and in your experiences since leaving and joining a different church, what for you are some of the most important elements slash characteristics that define a healthy church? And what are some of the elements that you have witnessed that can result in a church becoming unhealthy and toxic? We've talked about a few. But if you could talk about some more, expand on that, what would you say? There's a book called Centerset Church that I read. Um, and I can't remember. I think it's Mark Baker is, is, the, is the author. And what he was trying to emphasize is if a church is healthy, 
people have the freedom yes to attend to witness to give to show up yep and their attendance is influenced by healthy environment not people pleasing not hospitality right. that is fake not trying to pull somebody in and then sell them something like you know it's a vacuum cleaner you want mm. them to sell next thing you know they're buying a car um right. and i'm trying to be nice as i say that sure but yeah. center set church means People have a choice. And even if people are in sin or they're not Christians, mm -hmm. it's not our job to create this environment where we bring them in and they go, oh, I want to change now. That's God's job. Our job is to love mm -hmm. them for who they are. So for me, a healthy church experiences outside, in or out, whether it's in this mm -hmm. organization or not, is giving people the right to be who they are, regardless. That's huge. Okay. So in my time spent leading the church, and I'm guilty of this too, is having a strategy yeah. to bring people in and, you know, we're going to call right. people and we're going to invite them. And, but, but it had to be genuine. And a lot of times it wasn't. So when somebody's like, oh, we have all these phone numbers. I'm going to call them all tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and church is at 10. And I'm going to make sure they sit with me. And if they sit with me, I'll make sure I talk to you and I talk to you and, and we'll bring them yep. in and we'll have this team meeting and then we'll do this. And this guy right here, da, 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 and he could probably be baptized by Wednesday. And you know, that's not genuine. That's, that's, a, that's a, a system. That's outrageous. The important element is being genuine. If somebody's shy, mm -hmm. they're shy. If somebody's an introvert, they're an introvert. I know some of the best introvert, some mm -hmm. of the best preachers that are introverts. People are like, sure. oh, it's impossible. Yeah. I go, no, it's not. Yeah. Because it's not about that. So I think the elements of genuineness, authenticity, um, we don't teach ministries, ministers enough about the identity of personal development. Hmm. If people were personally developed and then they added the context of the scriptures, I could guarantee on to you they'd be a lot more genuine and authentic in their roles. Hmm. But that takes money and resources and time. And so, yeah. Joining a different church, I've noticed that that's not, and I'm on staff of this other church. I don't get paid. I'm yeah. on staff. I'm on small group. I'm over the small groups, which is, it had, I had to learn how to be just genuine with people, allow them to just be yeah. who they are, not have an agenda. Okay. Yeah. So the time I was with this organization, there was always an agenda. And I'm like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And what about just being with God? Agenda is huge. It's agenda versus where the spirit leads naturally. The agenda is God. He has already made the agenda. God is the agenda. That is, that's yeah. huge. The elements I saw were a lot of commandments, demands, you know, uh, do this, do that, go this way, go that way. And if we didn't do that, then we got questioned. Right. And so healthy church is really being explorative. Mm -hmm. There's this pressure. Unhealthy church is pressure, pressure. If I feel pressure going to church, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm already feeling negated because of my own issues, especially if I'm yeah, a churchgoer, right. or I, you know, I don't believe in God, or I went yeah. to a different church. So healthy churches are just very non-dogmatic. We believe that we are the authority. Yeah, we're not the authority. Yeah, we're human beings created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as I can get it. And I think there's too many people, not only in the organization I used to be part of. But a lot of church organizations, this is why church, churches are shrinking. Yeah. Because people don't want to be told what to do or how to do it. They want to be engaged with something that is bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when they're not right. engaged in that, they say, forget it. I'm not saying I'm watching yeah, right. the NFL. And it makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my answer. Love it. That's great stuff.
You know, I don't, I have a, a number of thoughts on this topic when we talk about like, what does a healthy church look like? I definitely don't pretend to have the answers at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Ryan and I have been in the ministry. We have been church leaders. We've been region leaders. And we've also been just the person sitting in the back pew. And, and so we have this unique perspective of understanding what church looks and feels like from both of those perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I do not envy the position of church leaders and ministry leaders. Uh, it is a hard job. It's, it's an immensely yeah. difficult job. Everybody has an opinion about what you do, what you say, you know, what you did, what you didn't do. Uh, it's, it's really hard. And there is no perfect church. We always say that, and that's not an excuse, mm. but when you're leading a church, if I was leading a church, I couldn't get it to be healthy either. Like I couldn't. Yeah. So I guess I just want to preface with that, but I do think that some things that are important in a healthy organization is absolutely personal autonomy. Uh, that is something mm -hmm. that was, was taken away for a long time and unfortunately still happens quite a bit. Yeah. I was along the lines of being shocked that these things still go on. I was getting to know a, a young woman. Uh, this happened two years ago and she's in a church that's just a few hours away from here in Virginia, part of the same group. And she's young. She has a baby at home and her and her husband are young, like whatever, late twenties, her and her husband yeah. helping with the teens and the teen ministry. And she was giving me like her opinions about what could be better in the ministry and this and that and the other. And and then she talked about how she feels so like, I really wish I could just, she's like, I know I have to go to these teen events, but I really wish I could just like go grocery shopping without my baby one time. Like, I really mm. wish I had the freedom and the space. And I was thinking, what? like, how are yeah. we still at this place that this 27 year old woman doesn't feel like she has the freedom to skip a teen event and go to the grocery store. Because it's culture. Like, this is not okay. Right, right. Right? It's mm -hmm. the culture. culture. Yeah. Cultural toxicity. And that's part of why, yep. like, I have been feeling for years now, and this is part of what led to us leaving, is that yeah. there are things woven into the DNA structure of this group of churches that you simply can't change. Because yeah. it's just part of the DNA and it's, it's Jesus with the old wines, the, the new wine and the old wine skins, right? Like we're trying yeah. to put a new way of thinking in, but there is so much control, like just woven into the church. So all that to say, I think a healthy church, there is personal autonomy where a person mm -hmm. feels free to make choices about how they spend their time. And that's okay. Right. Like the church we're part of now, like this last Sunday, our daughter wasn't feeling well. And we could have, she's 15, we could have left her at home and gone off to church. And we've done that many times. Yeah. But this day, we decided not to. We were like, you know what? We're just yeah. going to stay home. And we well, we had some her. things going on in our minds. Yeah, and, and I texted the yeah. minister and he called me the next day and said, hey, are you doing okay? You know, yeah. just checked on me. And that was it. We didn't have this conversation that was this. Right. I don't, I don't have any kind of feeling of like obligation or fear around that right like it's totally fine mm -hmm. if i don't want to go that's my choice right so like thing, things like that personal autonomy really big i think uh, another thing about a healthy church is it, it needs to create space for different personalities Huge. and not just like this is the type of person that does well and this type of person is always going to struggle because and, and right specifically in this moment i'm thinking of my husband <laughs> because <laughs> 
because he does have this great big loud personality and yeah and it is it's like we were in a place that just didn't have space for that mm, and at all and so he constantly felt like <laughs> you're like at all man i mean what i observed was he was always getting feedback about what was wrong with him and mm. now that we're in a different space all of a sudden that's not happening anymore and right. instead he's invited to be in the church leadership and he's invited to take on roles and and all these years he spent feeling like there's something wrong with him and mm -hmm. there really that wasn't the case that goes back to the diversified leading style that a person who is leading a group of people has to be in touch with yeah if they are not right. then they don't need to be in that role because right. they have to understand that a black man from the inner city is not a white man from suburbial right. suburbial whatever. Yeah. And right. a drug addict who grew up with fetal alcohol syndrome is not the same as a guy who goes to college and goes to the bars and knows he shouldn't right. do it. Right. right. And we're talking about people here. Mm -hmm. So to me, what you're saying, I'm just piggybacking on that. The lack of that understanding is huge it's the one size fits all mentality that's that right just does not work that's right that's right do this come here come to bible study come to church because because people want a cheat sheet for success in a church and you can't have a cheat sheet because it's people because it's messy. what it is yeah it's totally messy another thing that i had on my list about you know healthy church is a sense of open arms that's a very welcoming place to everyone but especially to new people yeah uh, the the fellowship that we were a part of had really gotten to a place where it was hard for people to join. It was really hard yeah. to get in. We put all of these like blocks up and in order to, to join our group, like you had to prove yourself. You had to check all the boxes. It was mm -hmm. like a, it had become a really long process. And honestly, right. I stopped sharing my faith for years because I felt like, what's the point? Like, even if I invite somebody, right. even if they come, number one, you know, in some of the congregation most recently I was a part of, I was like, I'm not even really proud of this place. Like, they're going to come nice. in and be like, this place is kind of boring and dull. Wow, I just put that out there, didn't I? Yeah. And, but even if I did have someone come with me, now I'm going to be obligated to engage in months of, you know, getting with this person and trying to change their current belief system to match my belief system. And it's just exhausting even <laughs> thinking about it. Right? right. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one because guess what? There weren't very many new people coming to visit. Right. Whereas the group that we're a part of now, when we went there for the first time, it felt like their arms were open wide. Come on in. Mm -hmm. We have a place here for you. Whoever you are, right. wherever you come from, there was no sense of like, this is the journey to membership. This is, it, it's like literally just come on in and we'll just figure it out as we go. Like we want you here. Yeah. We want you here. Yeah. And I mean, the year that we've been there, so many people are just showing up at this place. It's diverse. Mm -hmm. It's got all ages. It's got all races. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something there because they're open, like they have this right. posture of open arms. 
Um, and it blows my mind because I'm like, it's literally right up the street from where we used to be, where you would feel like people in the city don't care about God. Nobody wants to come. Nobody's interested. And yet it's a completely different environment. So I think just having that sense of our arms are open, you can come on in. Like I think back to the way that I was converted and how it only took 48 hours for me to make a decision to follow the Lord. I didn't do half the Bible studies your quote's supposed to do. Oh, so you're not a real Christian then. Right, right, right. She needs to to go back. But here I am 30 years later, still loving Jesus, um, despite all the crazy that I've walked through. And and I guess I want to, if we're going to end soon, I guess I I do want to say like, there are beautiful, wonderful, amazing people that are a part of that church organization. And many of them have been friends with for decades. And I love with all my heart. But I want people to know that if it's not the healthy place for you, it's okay because God is big and God is everywhere and Mm -hmm. God is moving in so many different ways. And it's okay to like get in line with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and not feel like you have to stay inside of a box. It's huge. That's huge. That's so good. All right. Last two questions here. The first is a question I love to ask people because... I really get some great reflective responses from this. So the question is, looking back on all the experiences that you've talked about in this episode today, experiences you haven't talked about that are part of your, your faith church journey, what, and we've covered several of these already, but what are some of the biggest things that you've learned about God, church, faith, and yourself? What I learned about God is that he is all incumbent. He's everywhere. And so anything I read, there's a scripture in First Timothy 4, it talks about, you know, God is everything. Thank you. Thanksgiving, you know, everything is God. Everything, everything, this table, the chair, no. the, the sick person, the addictional person, they're, they need to th- thank, thank God for them. So my point is, Jesus is bigger than I could ever imagine. What that's done is it's helped me just to be kind of chill mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. let him do his job and let me follow yeah. that. And so that's that's the big one I've taken from that. Um, and for church, church can't be your savior. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a place you go to encourage. But if it's your savior, I'll have to tell you, you got to feel huge. I think the only thing I want to add is I think just this whole idea of things are not so black and white like I thought they were mm-hmm. for a long time. Everybody's walking their journey. And after about a decade, the first decade in, in the church, I really internalized the scripture in Exodus where where God says, and he, he repeats it a few times, but where where he he walks in front of Moses and he says, proclaims himself that the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and mercy and faithfulness. And that was not the God that I knew the first 10 years as a Christian. Yeah, The God I knew was hard. And the way that I saw Jesus preached in the gospels, he was sarcastic. He was mean. He was judgmental. Mm. And I've had to really relearn what Jesus is really like. Yeah, And so I, I just think, you know, when we talk about our experiences, that's just that. That's our experiences. I'm really good friends right. with a friend in the local congregation here, and she adores the local church here. Like to her, it is a no. breath of light and freedom and joy and wonder. Awesome. Great. 
It's not what it was yeah. for me, but I'm not taking away her experience either. Right. So yeah, I just think really understanding that things aren't black and white and people are allowed to own their experiences without having to have them judged by somebody else right. who has lived a very different life and has walked very differently. So yeah. The, the importance of that is the experiences that puts more emphasis on really being in tune with who you are and who God is so that you can accurately discern what your experiences are. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. If you're going through something good, but it's actually bad. If you're going through something bad, you think it's good. Right, right. If you're not in tune with what your experiences are, then that's not gonna help anybody. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Everyone's experiences is valid, but being in tune with yourself and what God is leading you, what God is saying and who God is. So you can accurately discern what those experiences are and how they apply to you. Which comes back to the whole personal autonomy thing, right? Like right. not like having enough. And part of this comes with maturing, right? I wouldn't expect an sure. 18 year old or 20 year old to have figured that out yet. Right. I certainly mm -hmm. hadn't, but I think with, with maturation comes a sense of understanding a little more about who you are and what God's yeah. in you and having confidence in that. I was even thinking about how, remember when we were first married, we used to always have to like have a referee in our marriage. Austin, you're not married yet, but I know that a lot of your listeners will relate to this. Yeah, It's like you have these these arguments or conflicts in marriage and, and absolutely it's wonderful and good and helpful to have other people involved that can help you see yourself or sort through things. But I realized yeah. we went through a period after the first couple of years of marriage where I realized we actually didn't know how to sort through a conflict ourselves. Because whenever we had mm. one, we would call in a discipler or a ministry leader. It was deferred almost. Right. To come and help wow. us through it and who's right and who's wrong and what do you need to see? And while there's a place for that, like <laughs> we we realized after 2003 when we were kind of out on our own for a while, we're like, oh, wait, like we actually have to learn how to how to do this mm. on our own, like how to stand on our own two and feet and be adults. And we, um, did. And we yeah. did. We did. It took some time. With the help of some therapists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sigmund Freud. And no, I'm kidding. He didn't come. So. <laughs> He's dead. It's been a journey for sure. Yeah. That's so great, though. That's really, really, really good. And final question I have for you guys is the one I ask every guest on this show. This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn and gain a new understanding of? Well, that's easy. It's it's just truth. And what I mean by truth is there was this idea taught to me that this is how you find Jesus. And while there are many things in that process, I still believe. Sure. There are many that I do not. Yeah. And what I mean by that is no... I'm not walking around with Satan and hanging out in the witchcraft <laughs> rooms and whatever that might be. Okay. So it's to dig beneath the surface to the point where you uncover truth in a more doctrinal, contextual, and spirit led way. Because to me, not just the organization I was in, but in general, unless you're continuing to try to realign reframe you're not thinking and as soon as you stop thinking you're done you fall asleep being alive and so truth the other part is just judgment i think that i yeah. grew up very judgmental i grew up very entitled and so when i got in this position of, of being in the ministry 
Um, I was really driven, very, uh, I was a know-it-all. So being out of the church, out of that particular church and being in another one, just learning to be non-judgmental. Um, and I'm catching myself a lot, noticing, oh, I don't know, that's weird. Yeah. Or, oh, I don't know them. Or, you know, so those are probably the yeah. two really, and they're really, really, you know, deep things. Yeah. But truth to me is searching, you know, like Victor Frankl talks about man's search for meaning, you know, you're searching, yeah. searching, searching. So that that's me. That's, that's my love it. It's interesting. You brought up being judgmental because like, I love that you own that as part of you, you as a person, like your personality. But I also feel like my decades in the church really taught me to be judgmental hmm. because you were constantly like even helping somebody become a Christian, like literally the entire process of that was let me look at your life and judge what's right and wrong about it and help you see what's right and wrong about it, what you need to change. Yeah. So like, that's just like the lens at which you're always looking at people with. I want to address the, this belief of we're the only church Yeah. because I feel like all the time I hear people say, well, I never really believed that. To be like yeah, you, you did please yeah like come on like yeah you don't want to admit it now and i'm sure i'm not saying that everyone that says that yeah sure there are some people sure i think yeah i think maybe particularly people that came into this group later on that's probably true mm -hmm. that they maybe never really believed it but they you know just kind of kept that on the down low because i feel like that's yeah. how this church has been operating since 2003 which is is like you know, we don't really say it, but functionally, that's actually how we operate and how we treat people. But we right. don't think we're the only ones, but don't date anybody outside of our church because like, they're not real right. Christians. Like, okay, that makes sense. And if you're baptized outside, you need to get rebaptized into our church. Right, exactly. Because, you know, right. but, but we're not the only ones. Right. But I think that prior to that time, there may, I'm sure there were some people that, that believed it, but and I think maybe there are many people like me that had a, a, a incremental journey away from that belief. But yeah. certainly when I was taught and was studied the Bible and was baptized, I was definitely taught like we are it, like this is God's modern day movement. And we, we have the key to truth and everybody else is off somehow, like right. not quite in the exact right place. And this is where God is working and everywhere else is like not. And that very much came with a sense of we have to evangelize the world because people are literally going to go to hell if you don't convert them into our it's church. It's your fault too. Um, yeah, right. It's going to be your yeah. fault for not your saying something fault. to them. It's on your shoulders. Yep. What a yeah, load to carry. It was true though. Like it really was like that. And so some of the explosive growth that you saw was really fueled from a, an unhealthy place. And of course, there've yeah. been many other people that have looked at the numbers and yeah, we had this explosive growth and yet 50% fall away rate on the back end. Right. Because uh, most people can't like actually function in oh, an environment God. like that. Yeah. But I, for me, my journey away from that belief began with when I finally started making friends outside of our, our group. And that happened as I was a young mother and had my first couple friends that were actually like not part of our church because we live pretty far away from the church. And I remember yeah. at that time, this was probably 2000, 2006, thinking, uh, 2007, actually, thinking, wow, this is so healthy, like to actually have friends without an agenda, mm -hmm. 
Like I wasn't trying to convert them because my church was like an hour away. Like, why would they come with me to church? You know, like it right. wasn't even, but I wasn't even trying. Like I was just enjoying being their friends. And that was like step one. And then I started home educating our our daughters in 2010. And mm-hmm. that opened a whole world of families and women that were very serious about their relationship with God, but did it in a very different way than I did. And it was almost like I could start to discern the Holy Spirit in them because some Mm. of them I'd be like, this woman's legit. Like she loves Mm. God. She's the real thing, but her belief system is very different than mine. And she's doing right. Christianity very differently than me. And so then I did become one of the people that like, I really don't think we're the only ones, but I'm totally keeping that on the down low because that's not a popular thing. Like, we're not going to talk about that. Right. So that was kind of, you know, my journey. And I think that um, that was the big crumpled paper for me was like, this is the right way to do Christianity. And mm-hmm. this is like the ultimate this is what God intended when he wrote the Bible. This is what God intended for church to look like. And that's the big crumpled paper that I have crumpled up and thrown away is like, we don't, God is so much bigger than any church organization. He is at work literally everywhere around us all the time. Mm -hmm. And he works through people's lives in very, very different ways. And we can't take that away from people just because it's not the way that we experienced God. Yeah. That idea is something that I I harp on constantly on this podcast in my book is that idea that's so prevalent is that idea that God is bigger, right? And in doing not just this, this idea about us being the one to church, but so many, the majority, if not all of the things and topics on this podcast, it just makes God smaller. And by that, I mean, obviously, it's not actually making God smaller. God doesn't change based on what we do, but it confines the way that we experience him, right? If God is this big, right? I'm holding up my hand, but we put him in a box that's this big, right? It's like a a small, small amount of that size. Then we only have that small amount of area and margin to experience him in when he's really so much bigger, but we're... Our, our perspective, our minds, our mentalities, our eyesight, right, is set on, oh, this is how God works. This is where he works. This is how he operates. And thus, this is how I need to operate within that. When really, the boundary lines are so much bigger. And not only how God works, but thus, how we can live in that. So, I mean, I can go on and on about that forever, but that's so big. But that's all I got. Ryan, Carla, this has been a fantastic conversation. We touched on, you guys touched on so many different tenets, ideas, facets, corners of both the membership and leadership aspects of our organization, which will resonate so deeply, I know, with so many other people from different churches, different organizations, which is the goal. So thank you both for coming on. Thank you for having us and letting us talk so much. It's not easy to distill, you know, three decades of experiences into a two-hour conversation, but I'm really grateful. We thank you very much. And we really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Yes, thank you. And I think, you know, the reason why your podcast has become 
so well listened to is because it really was a need. Hmm. And, and I want to say something about that. There, there, there was and is such a need for people to hear that they are not alone and that yep. the things that they feel is not wrong. are valid. They're not wrong. Yeah. Yes. Because our feelings were made invalid for so long. And mm-hmm. I do just want to say, I think part of the the devastation that has occurred in people's personal lives and and even in seeing this this church group shrink over the, the yeah. last few years is because for a long time, I, I felt like this sense of, I'm saying this because I think it will resonate with some of your listeners, this sense of like, I feel unhealed. I don't feel this way today, but for a long time, I felt unhealed because even though I had had conversations with all of the people that had hurt me or that I'd had difficult experiences with, and I'd made peace with all of those people, there's no person that represents the organization as a whole, right? There's a Mm. lot of people out there that really need an apology, they need to hear it was wrong and we're sorry that you were hurt, but there's nobody yeah. to give that to them because there's not like a person to speak for the organization. And so I think your podcast kind of does that in some ways, like lets the individual person hear, yes, yeah. what happened in this group was wrong and it wasn't okay and it hurt people and it's okay for you to like move on because you've you've now gotten that sense of closure if that makes sense yeah and getting help with your closure uh i mean if Mm -hmm. i want to tell anybody anything if you're feeling this stuff you have to find either people mentors relationships where you feel safe Mm -hmm. and you feel heard and you feel connected because if you don't this is just going to bounce around in your head for the next Mm -hmm. six to eight months or six to eight years yeah and you don't want that to happen so i appeal to people that hear this podcast talk to somebody yeah get it out reframe your life go get what yeah. you want i love it I'm, i thank you for that because it's so true and i hope this conversation as well as the podcast as a whole does that for people and helps go on that direction so Absolutely. yeah thank you guys once again thanks austin thank you guys that is it for this episode thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week on january 2nd for the first episode of the new year of 2024 i'm so excited for you guys to hear the rest of this season we've got some great episodes lined up in the meantime, if you guys enjoyed this episode, got some value out of it, I would be so grateful if you took a second to rate and or review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever else. It's one of the best ways to show your support for this because it grants some credibility to the podcast, to the public eye, which helps us get more listeners who could really benefit from the conversation. So if you could take a second to do that, I would really appreciate it. I will see you guys next week. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.